This morning, we are going to talk about Palm Sunday. We're going to talk about the triumphal entry. But I don't want to talk about it as if it's history that we all know and we're just remembering it as this is the Passion Week, the Holy Week, the week in which we see from Sunday to Sunday so much transpire in the life of Jesus. But today I want to take a look at Palm Sunday from the idea of identity. This morning, if you have your Bibles, I want you to know that each of the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, all tell the story of the triumphal entry. But today, I want us to look at Matthew, the Gospel of Matthew, the 21st chapter. I'm going to read the first 11 verses this morning as we pick up Jesus entering in to the city of Jerusalem. Matthew 21 starting with verse 1 this morning. And when they had approached Jerusalem and had come to Bethpage and the Mount of Olives, then Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go on to the village opposite you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied there and a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. And if anyone says something to you, you shall say, The Lord has need of them, and immediately he will send them. Now this took place, what was spoken through the prophet might be fulfilled, saying, Say to the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you gentle and mounted on a donkey, even a colt, the foal of a beast of burden. And the disciples went and did just as Jesus had directed them, and brought the donkey and the colt, and they laid their garments on that which he sat. And most of the multitude spread their garments in the road, and others were cutting branches from the trees and spreading them in the road. And the multitudes going before him and those who followed behind him were crying out, saying, Hosanna to the Son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And when he had entered Jerusalem, all the city was stirred, saying, Who is this and the multitudes were saying this is the prophet jesus from nazareth in galilee the word of the lord god i need you this morning father father would you just make your word become life this morning would you light it up by your spirit this morning god would it not be words that fall to the ground but god i pray that they would be words anointed in fact lord jesus i pray i don't think one thought this morning that's not your thought i pray i don't feel one feeling or desire that's not yours and I pray I do not say one word this morning that doesn't first come from your mouth. And I pray this believing in the name of Jesus. Amen. This morning the triumphal entry is where we pick up this beautiful story of Jesus, the Christ, come down from heaven, vacant at the same time of his glory, full of human man flesh. How can the God of the universe both be the God of the universe and fully human? But yet we've seen the story. We know Jesus' life. And here he is going to the city he loved. The city that from afar he would look at and he would long to go to and to draw those in the city near to him like a mother hen. That's what he said, how I long to come to you and draw you to me like a mother hen does her chicks. That's how much he loves 
this holy city of Jerusalem. Yet most of his adult three-year ministry, he stayed away from there. Why? Rampant unbelief. Discord. They hated him. And at the end of the day, he knew his journey as a human would end in that city. And here he is entering that city, and we pick up in verse 5, the prophets of the Old Testament who testified about Jesus the Messiah. Jesus, the Jewish Messiah, the Jewish Savior, will come in. Behold, your king is coming to you. Behold, your king is coming to you. What is that? It says identity. This is Jesus the Christ. This is Jesus the Messiah. The prophets of old declared his identity as king. Behold your king. And he enters, and the crowd begins to gather. And not just in front of him, but they're coming behind him. And they're shouting, Hosanna. And they're taking off their coats, their garments, their cloaks, and they're laying them in the road. And they who can't find them grab branches and they cut them down and they lay them in the road. That the king will come in with a red carpet processional as they shout glory and Hosanna. And they acknowledge him as king. In verse 9, they say... Hosanna to the son of David. Who is the son of David, the Messiah? These crowds, these multitudes, these peoples, all in one accord, acknowledging the identity of Jesus the Christ, Jesus the Messiah. Do we get this? Is he the king? Yes. Is he the son of David? Yes. Then something happens. Look at verse 11. Now let's look at verse 10. And when he had entered the city, all of the city was stirred. Please understand at this time that Rome had possession of Jerusalem. The promised land no longer belonged to the promised people. They were invaded and conquered by Rome. Rome had set their governors, had set their leaders, their emperors over the Jewish people. I want you to understand that when all of the city was stirred, it was the Jews, it was the priests, it was the Romans, it was anybody who was something else, any Gentile, anyone from anywhere in the city of Jerusalem was stirred to the fact that someone had entered the city. And they began to ask the crowd who accompanied him. Look at what they say. Who is this? And in 11, the multitudes were saying, this is the prophet, hold Jesus. This is the prophet Jesus. Hold on. He's the prophet. But a few minutes ago, he was the son of David. But in the Old Testament, the prophets called him, behold your king. I wonder if as he's getting closer to the cross, his identity is changing. In 
11, we also see Jesus from Nazareth in Galilee. The crowds answer the crowds. What does that mean? Now he's being identified as his birthplace or his growing up place, his location. He was actually born in Bethlehem, but he was raised in Nazareth. What, what happens now? Well, is he a king? Yes. Is he a Messiah, the son of David? Yes. Is he a prophet? Well, yes, he, he is a prophet because prophets speak what they hear the Spirit saying, and he was definitely a prophet, but that wasn't his primary identity, was it? Was he from Nazareth in Galilee? Yes. But was that his identity? No. You see, as he gets closer to the cross, something begins to happen to the people around him. The king becomes the Messiah, becomes the prophet, becomes the man from Nazareth. And just five days later, something significantly changes. Five days later, I want us to turn. We're not going to dwell on what happens later in the week, but we absolutely have to look at it. In Matthew 27, I'm going to read you three verses this morning. Actually, I'm going to read you four. Here we go. This happens on a Sunday. The triumphal entry, for our intents and purposes, happens on a Sunday. He enters the city, and immediately things begin to take place. There's a lot that transpires in Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday. But Thursday, something significant happens. Thursday, he's taken into custody. Thursday, we call it Monday Thursday, as we look forward to Holy Week this week, each day holds significance. And now, on Thursday, Jesus is taken into custody and he's detained. And this is what happens. I'm just going to read verse 15 and then jump to 20. Now, at the feast, the governor was accustomed to release for the multitude any one prisoner whom he wanted. Verse 20. But the chief priests and the elders persuaded the multitudes to ask for Barabbas and to put Jesus to death. But the governor answered and said to him, Which of the two do you want me to release for you? And they said, Barabbas. Pilate said to them, Then what shall I do with Jesus, who is called Christ? And they all said, Let him be crucified and he said why what evil has he done but they kept shouting all the more saying let him be crucified what a change five days has made the multitudes the crowds on Sunday shouting to the Messiah Hosanna shouting to the prophet Hosanna shouting to the man from Nazareth, Hosanna. Those same crowds are now saying, crucify him. What has changed in the hearts of the people in five days that they could be incited to murder an innocent man that five days previously was their Savior, their Messiah, What happens in the minds and the hearts of a people who would turn on an innocent man so quickly? Jesus stood before Pilate in verse 15 as a 
prisoner. Our king has gone from identity of king, Messiah, to prophet, to man from Nazareth, to a prisoner. In verse 20, his identity is a criminal. He's lumped in and compared to the terrorist Barabbas, who was a murderer and incited riots. We know that in verse 23 and 22 and 23, he's now known and identified as the man condemned to death. How quickly Jesus' identity has changed in the minds and the hearts of the people. But let me tell you where it did not change. In Jesus. Let me make sure that you understand this morning that he never, ever, 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 ever forgot who he was. Because if he'd forgotten, he would not have been able to accomplish the cross. The word says, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. Let me ask you something. Would that be joy for you? Would it be joy for me? That wasn't who we were called to be. But Jesus knew he was the son of the living God. Never did the crowd make or break his identity to him. What people shouted as the good and then the bad did not diminish who he was. Hear me this morning. Jesus knew who he was. Jesus knew his part to play. Jesus was and is successful in the job he came to do. He has never stopped believing he was the son of the living God, whether the crowds agreed with him or not. Why is that important? Because this morning you need to know that the people around you who identify you as kind and loving and wonderful and smart and generous and beautiful, one minute may turn on you and say, you're selfish and you're all about yourself and we don't like you anymore and you're really not that smart and you're certainly not pretty. And see, the crowds, the friends, the people, the social media around you will raise you up one day and tear you down the next. And if you set your identity on the good, then you'll set your identity on the bad. And your plumb line may not be what other people say or who they think you are. Your identity must be set on the plumb line of the word of God. If you set yourself up to please people that they will approve of you, you will set yourself up to fail when they disapprove of you. You say to me this morning, you... You've preached on identity a couple times this year already. And I say, I wonder if we need to hear it more for the Lord to keep bringing it to our hearts. Why is that? Because we're always being bombarded. Hear me. We're always being bombarded with false identities. Because the enemy of our soul, the enemy of your soul, who wants to steal from you, kill you, and destroy you, does not want you to know what you are and what you are called to walk in. What are you called to walk in? Who are you this morning? Well, we took a look at Jesus' identity 
by way of Palm Sunday, which was absolutely beautiful of the Lord to weave this story of the triumphal entry in to our identity. This morning, I want to read and, and preach very briefly as we have much to do this morning. I want to I briefly read and, and share from Romans 1. I talked a little bit about this on First Friday. Romans 1 is a letter to the church of Rome from Paul. Now, Jesus has been crucified, and Jesus has been resurrected, and Jesus has ascended, and right now is at the right hand of the Father making intercession for us. His job is not complete. He still works on your behalf. That is his identity. He still works on my behalf. That is our identity, and he is our example. We follow what he's done, what he says, and who he is, because Jesus is our example. Are we not called to be more Christ-like? Is it not the goal of every Christian? I hope so. Then we have this beautiful book of Acts that comes after the gospel stories wrap up with the ascension of Jesus and the church goes forward as the first century church and we see what happens in Acts with the disciples and we meet the man Saul converted on the road to Damascus who becomes Paul who becomes one of the most prolific and incredible apostles we've ever seen. And we can take great comfort in reading the words of Paul because the Lord has used them for our benefit today. And what he is writing here to the church at Rome, he is writing now to the church at River City Hope Church. And this is what he says, Pastor Paul. Now, just a side note, he actually did not plant this church in Rome, okay? Probably some other apostles planted this church in Rome, but he is tending to it. He is pastoring it. He is loving it. I understand this right example right here because I didn't plant this church, right? But I get to come along and pastor and love and tend to this church. And this is Paul tending to a church he loves deeply. Though he didn't plant it, he loves the church deeply. And this is what he says. Paul, a bondservant of Christ Jesus, called an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures, concerning his son, who was born of a descendant of David, according to the flesh, who is declared the Son of God, with power of resurrection from the dead, according to the Spirit of holiness, Jesus Christ our Lord through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith among all the Gentiles for his name's sake, among whom you also are called of Christ Jesus. To all who are beloved of God in Rome, call the saints, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Am I going to preach on an introduction to a letter? You bet. This is Pastor Paul, who every single time anybody stopped long enough to visit with the man, heard his testimony. This is a man who was a murderer 
a, a, a man who held the coats of those who stoned Stephen, the first Christian martyr. This is a man who was after persecuting in every way the church of Jesus Christ. He wanted them gone. He wanted them stopped. He wanted them dead. He was a Jew among Jews. He was educated. He was intelligent. And on the road to Damascus, he was knocked on his keister. And transformation came so swiftly and completely that his tune changed immediately. And he became the most annoying new Christian you've ever known. Come on, you know what I'm talking about. Those new Christians that meet Jesus and all they want to do is tell you their testimony. Hey, I hope we never stop being those annoying new Christians. Paul never did. If you stood still, he was going to tell you about his transformation. Hear this. If you looked his direction, he was going to draw you in and tell you about his road to Damascus. Listen, if you didn't look his direction, he might come up behind you and tell you anyway. He just repeats himself and repeats himself. Why? Because he's not the man he was. He's a new man. He's a new creation. He's a new creature. He did this so often that when he was he was beat for it, man, they they would rod him and they would what they did when they rotted a person is they would hang them, like hang them up by their hands uh, above their head with a chain. They would hoist them up and they would take rods like canes and they would beat them about the legs and the bottom of the feet to break the bones in their legs and their feet so they couldn't walk. A lot of people, most people, um, they died from the rotting. And I think he was rotted and scourged like six times, but I can't really remember. And he would turn around and they would set him free after they tormented him and he'd go back and tell his testimony again. But the thing he just got beat for okay and he's an intelligent man he didn't care if he died for this thing because he knew it was life-changing he knew it was his calling and here's what he does he tells everybody even when he finally is in prison and he, he goes before the high priests. He tells his testimony. When, when they send him to Claudius Lysias, he tells his testimony. When they send him down to Felix, he tells his testimony. Hey, Felix leaves him held over for Festus. What does he do? He tells his testimony. And then Festus brings in King Agrippa and Bernice. And what does Paul do? Tells him his testimony. And, and then all the way to Caesar, he tells him his testimony. This is Paul. This is him in the introduction of this letter to the church. And in verse 1, Paul uses the word called. It's important that you understand this today. It's not just about Paul. He's called. The word in the Greek is kletos. The word kletos or called means appointed. The called ones are those who have received the divine call having conformed to God's saving purpose. Have you conformed to God's saving purpose? You too are Kletos. In verses 3 and 4, we see where this call on Paul's life came from. It came from Jesus Christ, our example. Who was Jesus? Ah, his identity. 
He's the son of the living God. Paul writes it right there in verse 3 and 4. It sounds like we might get a repeat of Jesus' identity in Paul's letter. How cool is it that God would put these verses together for us this morning? Jesus Christ called Paul. Jesus Christ, the son of the living God, who was resurrected from the dead by the power of the Holy Spirit of the living God. Called Paul. In verse 5, we see this call is not only to edify and bring glory to God, but this call on Paul's life is to bring about obedience of faith in others. He's called to share the gospel. This is so exciting because here comes your part. In verse 6, he tells the church, not just the Roman church, He's telling you. He's telling me. He's telling us today, the church of Jesus Christ, all the way down through time, you too have the same call. You too have the same kletos. You are appointed for this time. You are the ones called to receive the divine call. And when you do, you conform to God's saving purpose. And that purpose is not only to glorify and praise God, but to bring about the salvation of others. Paul, in verse 7, says something really significant. He calls the church, he calls us saints. Okay, you know what I'm going to say. I got to say it. I can't not say it. This is your identity. You are a saint of the living God, Christ Jesus. You are not a sinner. I love Bill Gaither and I love the song, I'm just a sinner saved by grace, but that's bad theology. That's not your identity. Because the word of God says, when you enter into relationship with Jesus, you're a new creation. How can you be a new creation if you're just a sinner? Come on, that's not your identity this morning. Somebody needs to hear this. You are not identified with who you were. Your identity is not where you were born. Your identity is not where you live. Your identity is not the hang-ups that you had before you came into relationship with Jesus. Your identity is not what your parents or your family or your friends say you are. Your identity is saint. The word saint in Greek is hagios. Can I tell you what it means? For this is your identity here at this morning. You are hagios. You are holy. Set apart. You are sanctified. You are consecrated. You are chaste. You are pure. You are holy saints. All who are beloved of God are hagios, are saints. You are beloved of the living God. Why is this so important today? Why are we talking about identity on Palm Sunday? At the beginning of Passion Week, I need for you to understand as we look at what Jesus accomplished for us. 
that it matters because it is who you are. Not realizing our identity, not realizing our calling, not understanding that it's for all of us, for all believers. Now listen, if you're here this morning and you're hearing me say this and you're like, it's not for me, then the question is, are you a believer? Are you in a right relationship with Jesus? That's the question. Okay? Otherwise, if the answer is yes, I'm in relationship with Jesus, yes, I am a believer. And who can, who can prove that for you? Only you and Jesus. I can't tell you if you are. Your spouse can't tell you. Your friends can't tell you. The word says that you will know you're in right relationship with Jesus as the Spirit bears witness in you. If you don't know or you're not sure, let's start asking the right question of the Lord. But if you're in relationship with Jesus, hear me. This identity of saint, of holy, set apart, consecrated, pure, for his glory and so that others will come to faith is your identity. You are sons. You are daughters of the living God. And if you don't realize your identity, let me tell you what happens. It keeps the gospel from spreading. Utterly, utterly stops it. If you don't know who you are, you can't tell someone else who they are. If you don't know who you are, you can't share that which you do not have with someone else. You have to own it and obtain it before you can give it away. And we have committed to doing just that, not only to this community, but to this city. And if you're not from this city, I'm praying that you do it for your city. That's who you are. If you don't believe in your identity, it leaves room for the lies of the enemy to begin creeping into your mind. Did you hear me? If you don't receive your identity as saint, as hagios, you are leaving your mind open as a playground for the enemy. He comes against you with lies, and it's hard to discern if those lies are truth or if they're from God or if they're your thinking because you're not sure who you are. And you begin to believe those lies, and now when we believe the lies of the enemy, they become our truth, and when they become our truth, we're in trouble because we start walking in huge deficit in our life. Listen to me. We begin to believe we're unworthy. We begin to believe we're not lovely. We begin to believe that no one could care about us, that we're alone, and all those things are lies. If we don't believe who we are, we become orphans. But Jesus said, we have the spirit of adoption, which gives us a heart and a right to cry out, Abba, Father. We're not orphans. Our identity is sons and daughters, and we have a good, good father. No matter what you saw in your earthly parents, no matter how wonderful or how poor they've been, you are not an orphan. You have a good father. That's your identity. 
But if you don't believe your identity, then you're unworthy and you feel unworthy and you walk around unworthy and you act unworthy and you begin to push things off on other people that make them feel unworthy. And we're all walking around a bunch of orphans and that's a lie. If you don't believe your identity, you don't believe you're chosen. You don't believe you have a calling. You don't believe you have a cletos, and you do. If you don't believe in your identity, you become apathetic and complacent about the things of God. You don't care. You don't want to read your Bible. You don't want to have prayer. You don't want a relationship. You don't want to go to church. You don't want to tell other people about him. You don't care because a demonic spirit of apathy and complacency has hold of you because you don't know who you are in Jesus. Why is it so important to believe in this identity? Because if we don't, no one will walk on this earth as sons and daughters and priests and heirs and kings. And that is what Jesus died for us to be. I hope you hear my heart this morning. I'm not yelling at you because I'm mad. I'm yelling because I'm excited because we're missing a key piece of information. And we can sit in here this morning and we're like, we get it. We get it. This is our identity. We're called. We're holy. We're saints. We're set apart. We know, we know, we know. And then we leave and we walk out and we get in our car and all the things start happening. And the crowd and the multitude go from praising us to yelling, crucify, crucify, crucify. And if you set your heart to listen to what they say, you'll be crucified. One of the reasons I believe that this happens is because in the American church, a lot of us for generations after generations after generations have been brought up believing that it's the pastor's job to share the calling. It's the pastor's job to be kletos, called, appointed, right? To share the gospel with others and to give God glory. And it is the pastor's job and it's every single one of our job. Because Paul, in this first chapter of Romans, doesn't say to all the elders only, please don't share this with your people. It, it, it says to the church, you're the church. I'm the church. We're all the church. We're all called. We're all appointed. The mechanism with which we share is going to be different, okay? Not all of us are called to be a vocational pastor. Not all of us are called to be an evangelist or a worship leader. Not all of us are called to work at the insurance company. Not all of us are called to work at the airport. I know somebody who's a little uh, preacher over there for American Airlines in every day of the week. And there's people sitting in this congregation this morning because she understands her identity. Do you hear me? She knows she's called. And she knows she has a message. And she wants everybody she encounters at Costco to come sit in here. And she's not a pastor. Hey, do you know we aren't all going to work at the airport? We're not all going to. 
work at the office, cut hair, work in the gift shop, be a teacher in school. Every one of us are called, but how we walk that out looks very differently. And that's the beauty of the body. We all need each other, and there's room for each one of us. But we are all called and appointed, and you are saints. You're set apart, and you are holy, and you are pure. And if we as an American church just keep relying upon the person standing behind the pastor, the church will die. I want to do it all, but I can't. I need you. The Lord needs you, and you're called. I also think that sometimes, hear my heart, pastors perpetuate this lie, this fallacy, because we are human, and sometimes we need to be needed above everybody else, and so we let people believe it is our job only. And that's not truth. I hope someday I work my way out of a job because we're all so on fire and identified and know what we're doing and we're called and we're walking it out and we're like, man, we don't need a pastor anymore. I pray that day comes because this title is not my identity either. And your identity isn't your job title either. I'm a daughter of the living king. I'm chosen. I'm called. I'm appointed. I'm a saint. I'm set apart. I'm consecrated. I'm an heir. I'm a priestess because that's who Jesus says I am and that's who Jesus says you are. I get the honor of holding the title of pastor. I really like it too, but it cannot become who I am. It must be. I'm a daughter and a servant of the living God. Do you see the difference? Do you hear me today? Do you all understand that it's equal footing at the foot of the cross and we all absolutely understand there's no partiality with God? He doesn't love me more than he loves you. He doesn't have stepkids. He doesn't have grandkids. And if you mess up, he doesn't love you less. And if I excel, he doesn't love me more. He's equal. It's who he is. It's part of his nature. How do we understand what this looks like for us to walk out? Well, I've given you your identity this morning. I've told you what you're not. I've told you who you can't listen to. I've told you who you need to listen to. But what does that really look like walking out day after day after day? It means that you need to be a person of the word, a man of the word, a woman of the word. You need to be part of the body who digests the word for yourself on a regular basis. And that will allow you to discover who God is. And when you get to know who God is, you're going to get to know what he wants of you. It happens. When you start talking to him in prayer and intercession and start listening to him, you get to know his heart, his nature, his character, and you get to know what he wants for you. It happens. It's how it works. I've told you this before. I picture this as a baleen whale. A baleen whale is a very large species of whale that has no teeth 
It has these strips of cartilage that go from the top of its mouth to the bottom of its mouth so that both of its jaws are connected by these strips of cartilage that are extremely close together, like a filter. You know how you have an air filter in your AC or your, or your furnace, right? And you got to change it so it keeps working. Well, a baleen whale opens its mouth as it swims through the ocean and all the little fish and all the little plankton and all the little things that are small enough to fit in between those baleen strips go in its mouth through its body. It digests them. It digests, that's its nutrients. But if it's a big fish or a predator, it doesn't go in. It doesn't fit between the strips of baleen. And it just swims eating all the time, just consuming all the time. It lives its whole life consuming so that it lives because it gets nutrients. This is how we need to approach God. We've got to stop thinking this is a Sunday morning relationship only. We need to open our mouth, open our hearts, open our eyes, and consume God all the moments we can so that we have nutrients in the spirit to live healthy, whole, spiritual lives, looking and being and acting and speaking more like Jesus every single day. That is your identity. That is who you are. I'm going to pray over us. And as I pray, I'd like for Pastor Brett to come. And I'd like for Sarah to come. We're going to do a baptism this morning, and I'd like for them to get set up to do that while we pray. And can I tell you that if you're in this room this morning and you feel like you have a relationship with the Lord, but you're not sure that you remember being baptized or you want to be baptized, you know it's not too late for you. I love that we don't have to plan. We can do baptism on the fly, okay? Now, if you just want to sit in the jacuzzi like Jeff, no deal. Okay? But I'm going to pray. And if this morning one of two things needs to happen, first of all, if you know you're in this place and you're not sure of your identity as a believer in Jesus, would you, would you come up here and let's, let's nail that down? We have time today. There's time. Okay? We're not in a rush. And two, if you know that you have been walking in the identity of what someone else says you are, because you made a mistake, maybe you're living in the identity of what you say you are, and you're tired of that, and you want to let that go, and you just want to walk as a son, as a daughter, as a saint, as a called one, and you want to and you want to come up here and pray, and just lay that false identity down and not pick it up again. I want you to do that this morning. And thirdly, if you if you feel like you want to be baptized, I want you to just come over and start talking to Brett, okay? As we as we pray, stand with me as we pray. Standing makes it easier to move and change your posture toward the altar. This morning, Jesus, as we come before you, God, I'm extremely grateful. I'm extremely grateful for your word so clear about who we are. And Jesus, I am so thankful that on the way to Jerusalem, no matter what they shouted, Hosanna, son of David, prophet, man from Nazareth, criminal, prisoner, condemned to death, you never stop knowing and believing who you are. And you would like for us to walk that securely in our life. To know this morning beyond a shadow of a doubt that we, each one of us, are called. We are appointed. 
We are saints this morning. We are pure. God, we are not those who walk as the world walks. We are not what the world says we are. We are not what our friends and family say we are. We are not what the past mistakes say we are. We're not our job titles. We're not our failures. We're not even our dreams and wishes. We are what you and your word say we are. And this morning I'm looking at a group of people who really walk this out well. But Lord, there's always room for us to be more Christ-like this morning. So will you just speak to us this morning by your Holy Spirit. And if there's something we need to lay down, a wrong identity. If there's a lie in us, like unworthiness. If we have an orphan spirit. If we believe we're unchosen. If we believe this isn't for us, God, I pray that the truth would set us free this morning. And Lord, I love you. I love you. And Lord, when we love you, you say that you desire for us, God, to obey. And so, Lord, we want to obey you this morning. Lord, I thank you, God, for an opportunity um, to take part in baptism this morning. I thank you for this sacrament, Lord. We don't take it lightly. And so, Father, we want to bless and honor you as we move forward with everything that you have for us today. Lord, Whatever word you've said in our heart, will you continue to allow it to do the work you set forth for it to do until that work is accomplished? And I pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. We're going to pray. We're going to set up and we're going to do this baptism. Baptism is a beautiful thing. Amen. And I'm honored that I get to do it today with my beautiful mother-in-law, Sarah. And she's been walking with the Lord all her life. And when she grew up in the Presbyterian Church, right, she got sprinkled. But today, we're going to get fully dunked. Amen. And the old woman's going to be gone. And the new is going to come. It's a beautiful thing. So, Sarah, I'm going to ask you to sit down. There you go. Yeah, you probably want to sit on your butt so I can lean you back. There you go. We believe in the Church of the Nazarene that water baptism is a symbol of being crucified with Christ. And when you go into that water, it's as if you're dying with Christ. And when you come back out, it's like being raised to new life in Him. Amen. It's a sacrament signifying our participation in that death and resurrection of Jesus. The Apostle Paul declares that all who are baptized into Christ Jesus are baptized into his death. We are buried with him in this baptism so that just as he was raised from the dead, we too can walk in new life with him. Amen. As we have been united with him. Sarah, today will you be baptized into this faith? Do you acknowledge Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, and do you believe that He saves you now? As a member of the Church of Jesus Christ, will you follow Him all the days of your life, growing in grace and love of God and your neighbors? Amen. So what you're going to do is you're going to take your right hand, plug your nostrils. Sarah Catherine Aker Cox, I baptize you in the name of the Father son and the Holy Spirit.
Amen. Woo! Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this joyous occasion. We thank you, Father, that just as you were crucified, Sarah was crucified. And just as you raised to new life, Lord, she has been resurrected into new life in you. And Father, today she is declaring that she will walk according to your kingdom. She will serve you all the days of her life. She will continue to raise her children in the kingdom. And she will continue to love like you with everyone she comes into contact with. So Father, I pray today that as she has shown a public declaration of the work that you've done within her heart, Lord, the enemy wants to fight her and tear her down. So Lord, I pray that you would remind her who she is in you as a daughter of the Most High King. We celebrate this baptism today. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Give the Lord praise again. We have uh, an awesome opportunity to serve the community today, and we invite you to stay afterwards as we have a potluck uh, lunch, dinner, whatever you want to call it. Uh, thank you for being with us here today at River City Hope Church. Please stay and linger in fellowship. We'd love to talk with you. You are dismissed in Jesus' name. Go in peace.